Hey, business owners, ever wondered what happens when you take a payment? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through currency converting, security asserting, business supporting, real-time reporting, e-com providing, or expert advising, <laughs> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To find out more, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services, DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. This is an Irish independent podcast. Bitcoin is the biggest cryptocurrency. It's the oldest cryptocurrency out there. When it goes up, everything tends to go up with it. And the inverse is also true. When Bitcoin starts to go up, people start to, to pay attention to it. Basically, they have a theory, which is price goes up, that garners interests, that creates projects, and that results in startups. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler. Now, Bitcoin is back. You may have thought that massive scandals including FTX or Binance or countless other frauds and cock-ups may have damaged crypto's appeal, but nope. In recent weeks, Bitcoin has roared back to almost 40,000 euro with most major crypto assets performing similarly. What is going on? Can anything damage crypto? Is it becoming a safer, more regulated investment? And what happens next? Well, I'm joined today by Laurie Kyo, an adjunct assistant professor in technology trends at Trinity College Dublin, who also works for MSX, which is a UAE-based regulated stablecoin issuing company and part of the Phoenix Group, which just IPO'd in Abu Dhabi. Laurie, why has Bitcoin risen in price? Good question. And with all of these kind of scenarios, the key thing is, is that it's, it's never really one thing. It's normally a bunch of things. So first things first, and you said it there, I think, which is regulation. Um, regulation brings standards and standards bring adoption. And that is 100% the case. What do you mean by regulation? What are you talking about? So where rules are coming in, um, let's say in the US or in, give me examples. in Europe. So in the US, um, the Securities and Exchange Commission, it has basically been looking at approving a thing called a spot Bitcoin ETF. That's an exchange-traded fund in crypto assets. Now, that, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, that allows ordinary traders and banks to hold, buy, sell crypto, more like regular shares. Exactly, including retail investors as well. So it's not just... Retail investors meaning you and me. Exactly, exactly. So that is the huge kind of on-ramp or point of accessibility to hundreds of millions of people in the US. So banks and regular traders used to regard crypto as something that you did if you sat in your bedroom at two o'clock in the morning or if you were some sort of weirdo and, and, and you believed in all sorts of far out uh, views or if you wanted to get rich quick and you were willing to, to do it. Now, with these ETFs, these exchange traded funds, with this move towards this regularization they might think that they can talk to their ordinary stockbroker or their ordinary bank 
about uh, about an asset class, a crypto is an asset class. Is that right? That's exactly it. And that's where I think, you know, where we are today and years gone by, um, you would have seen hedge funds and other folks wanting to get exposure to assets that definitely had more risk, but then the potential for a greater upside. Mm. And what we are seeing now is that with a spot Bitcoin ETF, and people would believe that it's a case of uh, when, not if, then then it becomes available yeah, to, to everybody. Okay. Okay, so that's in the US regulation. Now, before I get into MECA legislation here in Europe and what that might mean, there I mean, there are other boring reasons, I think, that uh, crypto and Bitcoin ha- has risen. I, inflation seems to be under control, and that means interest rates might be coming down. And that means, correct me if I'm wrong, that if interest rates come down, people tend to look for slightly riskier things to invest in because they're not going to get a return. And that's spot on. That's exactly it. So interest rates currently in the US and then covering between 525 and 5.5%. Mm. Um, and so if they were to go down, then people are going, well, you know, how can I make a return on my money? How can I make it work hard for me? And so people look to a range of different assets. And if there is now a regulated asset, which has the potential to provide a greater return than the, the standing interest rate, people are looking towards that. So mm. absolutely, that is, I think, for me, um, reason number two. Okay. I mentioned Bitcoin is heading towards 40,000 euro. It's been sort of hovering between 38 and 40,000 euro over the last uh, seven, eight, 10 days. Broadly speaking, the same thing seems to be happening for other major cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And this is, again, kind of the way it works. Bitcoin is the biggest cryptocurrency. Mm. It's the oldest cryptocurrency out there. When it goes up, everything tends to go up with it. And the inverse is also true. Um, so, but so so Ethereum, for example, it's uh, I think it's at over 2,000 euro compared to just 1,400 euro two months back. Solana, which I've picked out, which is not as big as 57 euro compared to 17 euro 10 weeks again, 10 weeks ago. Um Others such as XRP or Tether aren't aren't on such bull runs. But generally speaking, if you have a broad portfolio, if you are into crypto and you broad portfolio of major um, crypto assets at the moment, compared to a couple of months ago, you're up quite significantly. You are. And uh, there's no doubt about that. But uh, you're not quite up as much as you were at its height. Like two years ago, Bitcoin was at over 56,000 euro. It's still under 40,000 euro. Yeah, and I guess depending on which analysts you're listening to, some say that the recent price increase in Bitcoin in the broader market is that folks, um, people are already pricing in the upside Mm. of the approval of the spot Bitcoin ETF. Um, Now, decoded, that sort of might mean that there may not be as much bullish optimism that Bitcoin is going to continue rising at the same pace as it has over the last few months. Yeah, exactly. So um, others are saying that, no, it's just the beginning. Um, And what we tend to see as we go through these cycles, and to which I think we're actually now in the fifth uh, Mm. cycle, and we can talk a little bit more about that kind of research later on, is that basically when Bitcoin starts to go up, people start to to pay attention to it Mm. more. And there's a a theory by Andreessen Horowitz, so the the VC firm based in San Francisco, they have a crypto arm called A16Z or A16Z if you're um, uh, in the US. But basically, they have a theory, which is basically you price goes up, that garners interest, that creates projects, and that results in startups. Okay, that's an interesting theory. What's the case? You said that others make a case that this is just the beginning of a bull run. What's what's that case? So I, I think 
what people are starting to see is that based on that cycle I just outlined there is that new projects, new apps, new products are coming to the market. So in the first instance, the first cycle was Bitcoin. In the second cycle, it was Ethereum. In the third cycle, we started to look at things like Polkadot and, and other uh, protocols out there. In the fourth cycle, it was DeFi and NFTs. And I think we're now in the fifth cycle, which is looking at things like central bank digital currencies. We're looking at stable coins. But the key thing here is that during those kind of down cycles where this time last year, you know, we were looking at Bitcoin at $15,000 mm. as the case may be, people think nothing is happening. But that's actually not the case. What's happening is that during those kind of quieter moments, the next set of products application features are all being developed. And it takes typically about 18 to 24 months to develop a product. And that's what we see, which then kind of comes out of the next beginning of the bull cycle. So as we get into 2024, we're going to start to see more products hit the market, but they weren't developed overnight. They were built 12 and 18 months ago. Why haven't scandals like FTX and Binance, which I mentioned uh, at the top of the podcast, Binance just literally just a couple of weeks ago was hit with a $4.5 billion fine. We all know what happened to FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, who's looking at a very lengthy jail sentence now, probably decades. Why haven't they hit the price of crypto? I think they did. Like when the FTX stuff broke, like, you know, in November last year uh, in and around then, it absolutely did hit the market, right? We saw Bitcoin hit that low. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, we're still feeling it. Thankfully, you know, in, in my view, justice was was served. And uh, in relation to the activities that took place, it was, it was fraud um, and beyond. Um, in relation to Binance, I think the key thing here is to what's um what's it done to the markets is that it's helped draw a line under big question marks that were there i think people around the world were hearing um, stories or rumors about the Department of Justice in the US carrying out lengthy investigations over many years and so for it to come out in the way it did um it actually puts a line under it and hopefully the whole industry can move on okay um you yourself you're a seasoned observer this point. You've been on this podcast quite a few times, actually. What's your own analysis of what you think is going to happen over the next 6, 12, 18 months? Okay, yep, the, the crystal ball question. So my view, I think in, in Q1, we will see um, the spot Bitcoin ETFs getting approved by the SEC in the US. Um, and there's good evidence behind that, by the way, as well. BlackRock, who have put in an application, I think in their history, they have close to 600 ETF applications have gone in with only one being rejected or denied. Wow, so, there's a whole other podcast in that. I, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you look around the web broadly enough, you'll see a lot of um, theories and podcasts uh, about BlackRock. But suffice to say, for the purpose of this podcast, they are very successful when they apply for, uh, in relation to ETFs. Exactly. That's what the statistics would show. So I think, look... And then what you have there is precedent. So then you have other com uh, other companies like Fidelity, um, obviously the Grayscale Trust moving to an ETF. You have a bunch of others where once one gets approved, then there's going to be a whole slew of others that will get approved. And it is really important to note that, I guess, institutional money... Um, which will then start to flow into the space. If you think about it, you know, a, a million 
uh, on the retail side moving into into Bitcoin is a lot of money. But that could be, let's say, a million users all putting in one dollar, one euro. But actually, one million on the institutional side could be one trade by one company in a 15 minute window. And um, it is you're talking about billions flowing in. And mm-hmm. this is what a lot of people are, I guess, looking at, uh, both at a, I guess, well, at an institutional level specifically. So I think, look, number one is that spot Bitcoin ETF getting approved. And um, I think number two as well is we're seeing, you know, some people are saying stable coins, are they the actual killer application of crypto? Um, and for stable coins, for people who don't know, stable coins are effectively a, a form of cryptocurrency that are pegged to either a dollar or a euro, but I think 98% of the, the stable coins out there are dollar backed. So you're able to move money, uh, the premise is cheaper, better, faster than you can today. So I can move it 24 7, 365. And instead of it costing me, you know, let's say 6% uh, on average for remittances, it can be as low as 2% or less. And, and those charges or fees are getting lower and lower. So Stablecoins are becoming, I guess, more prevalent. So that's, I think, a, a second point. I also think we're going to see um, the, uh, central bank digital currencies. So there's a lot yeah, of talk well, about what's them. What's the story with that? To explain that, explain a central bank digital currency. The good, this is a good question, right? A central bank digital currency, I think, is a uh, it is a form of payment mechanism that governments will use. Um, really, I think as a means to stay relevant in a digital world. So hang on, let's just back up a second. Why do central banks, why are central banks even considering this? I mean, they, they have their own fiat currencies. They have their own ways of transferring value, uh, you know, digitally already. Why are they considering this? So a, a big part of it is, and this goes back to, to Libra, this Facebook's Libra piece, where they don't want a, a technology company or a group of technology companies issuing another form of currency which they don't control. Um, And also, in an increasingly digitized world, I think various countries and regions want to ensure that their monetary system and supply mechanism is something in which they are in full control of. So, in an unbelievably simplified summary of what you said, they're essentially creating their own centrally backed equivalent of Bitcoin in an unbelievably simplified uh, uh, measure. Okay. Um, But isn't the entire point of existing cryptocurrency that it is not a centrally backed um, asset, that it is not something that governments can control? And isn't that the appeal of Ethereum and Bitcoin and, and, and all the others? And if central banks were to attempt to do this, why on earth do they think it would be successful? Yeah, there's a few key reasons why they're trying to do it. I think number one, what they're trying to do is focus on the unbanked elements of society. So folks who don't have a bank account. So if people have a mobile phone or some kind of electronic device, how how can you put a, a bank account or a form of it in their hands through that device? That's number one. Number two, what they also want to do is they want to drive down the cost of payments for people within, let's say, if we're looking at the EU and a digital euro, they want to drive down the cost of remittances um, to much lower than what they are today. And they see the digital euro as a means of doing that. Um, it's also probably interesting to note, and a good guy perhaps for a future show, is it one of the key people behind the distribution of the digital euro is uh, an Irish guy called Daniel McLean. Um, so uh, definitely a shout out to him. And he can talk about the, the distribution component. But definitely, I think, um, accessibility, making it cheaper, 
But also they've brought in some very clear stipulations that it won't be used for surveillance, um, which some people feared. They've definitely called that out. And then one area I think that divides, I guess, different parts of uh, I guess, the technical community is that they've said that the digital euro will not be programmable. Um, so it won't be, you won't be enable, or sorry, you won't be able to make it do specific things when certain criteria are met, which is really what a smart contract does, which is why Ethereum is so famous. A smart contract being if, you know, if this event happens, trigger this payment um, where you can start to program all sorts of things. Okay. Now, what in God's name happened to NFTs? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I am conscious that there are listeners to this podcast who probably bought some NFTs, not on our advice. We were never especially bullish on it. I did write columns, though, saying I understood the principle of it and why some people, um, that it wasn't a stretch if you were willing to take a leap into cryptocurrency. It wasn't that much of a stretch to take a leap into um, NFTs. And But yet, you know, my God, at the moment, the ecosystem is littered with the corpses of NFT shells. Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment is being sued for a billion dollars because uh, he and I think it was Binance um, got together and they had these CR7 NFTs. And I think the cheapest one was started at $77 or so. Now it's worth $1. And all of the football clubs in the Premier League, sorry, a lot of the big ones issued NFTs, they're all worthless. Um Let's not even talk about the uh, Board Ape Yacht Club guys. Um, what happened there? So I, I think they went through, uh, yeah, defining years or uh, a definite point of maturing. What I mean by that is there was a frenzy around speculation, um, much like the, the crypto market at that time in general. Anything that was to do with crypto at the time can only go up, but we all know that's not how life is or that's not how crypto is either. Um NFTs are definitely, you know, depending on what you read, they are, they're not dead. Um, there's a good article in The Economist, I think, um, week before last, um, talking about how museums are still looking at uh, NFTs. They're still purchasing them and they're exploring how they use them. So this includes um, the Whitney MoMA Met in New York. Um, I think the key thing for NFTs and this year will be, or 2024 will be very important, is very simply the word is utility. So Beyond a picture of a monkey, um, what can that NFT do, right? And my, my personal view is that, um, let's say for ticketing, you'll be issued a ticket. You may not even know it's an NFT, but it will be an NFT. And with that will come some added features, whether you get access to um, exclusive content, as the case may be, or it enables a relationship with the with the consumer where if you purchase the, the ticket, it will sit in your, let's say, digital wallet, and then the company will be able to airdrop you more NFTs, airdrop being basically that it will issue something for free directly into your wallet. So then you're, a, you're, you're really part of a one-to-one -one relationship with that so brand. Influencers, uh, sports influencers, for example, they have this thing on YouTube, this concept of super chat, and that's where you will pay five euro, $10, whatever it is. And that means that in the rush of the stream of comments that yours will be picked out and read out and you might get a, a newsletter, you might get even something personalized. I mean, is that the philosophical basis of what we're talking about in terms of what you're suggesting there? With it is, it is. It's like 
Boiling it all down, it comes down to one simple word for me, and that is engagement. Um, when you have somebody who attends a concert or a rugby match or whatever it is, a game match, what you want them to do is not to just simply show up. You want to be able to have a one-to-one relationship that you can nurture and then get them to join that community and then obviously try and sell more goods and services to them. So it's not a one and done. It is an ongoing relationship, and an NFT will form a very important part of the start of that digital mm. relationship. Okay, so NFTs aren't dead. Um, I mentioned Mika, which is regulation uh, that has is being introduced here in Europe. And I've interviewed senior people in companies like Coinbase, Paul Gruhl, for example, the chief legal officer, he told me that he believes that because of the differing attitudes toward regulation in the US and the EU, he ranks the EU as being ahead, just in terms of setting ground rules, whether you're, or not you agree with those ground rules uh, that he sees innovation coming to Europe for that reason. And as you know, I interviewed Hester Peirce on the, uh, from the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission earlier this year, and she tends to be one of the more pro-crypto members of that body. And she was scathing about the role of US regulars and saying they're sitting on their backsides doing nothing, and this could lead to um, innovation leaving the States. Is it panning out that way? I think so. Um, I think I have a lot of time for Paul. I think he's a he's a, a great individual and human being. And I think what we are seeing, right? I'm now spending um, more time in the UAE, in Dubai, and Abu Dhabi. And it's funny how um, people are focusing a lot more on Europe, on the Middle East, on Asia, and definitely less so um, on the US because of that uncertainty. Why would you operate in an environment where the rules aren't clear? It's too much risk. Mm. And the chance of you losing money increases. The chance of you making a mistake and getting fined or through enforcement actions uh, also increases. So simply, you'll focus on all the other markets where there is clarity. And so you have a greater chance of launching a project and product and then generating revenue. not being sued for billions. So Binance, not to in any way condone what Binance was fined for in the US, but maybe you would argue that if it had a clearer rule set that maybe it wouldn't have engaged in what it did and it wouldn't got got fined four and a half billion dollars. Yeah, absolutely. I guess if there's clear rules and any company was to, you know, not operate within those parameters, then it's going to be much clearer to all parties involved much earlier what they did or didn't do and therefore corrective action should have been taken. Okay, look, we'll we leave it there, Laurie. Thank you very much again for uh, coming in. I don't know if I can actually read it. Your entire title, okay, I will. He's an adjunct assistant professor in technology trends at Trinity College Dublin and who also works for MSX, a UAE-based regulated stablecoin issuing company and part of the Phoenix Group, which just IPO'd in Abu Dhabi and the largest Bitcoin miner in the world. My name is Adrian Meckler. You've been listening to The Big Tech Show. And JJ Clark produced this uh, show and Gavin Hennessy was on sound. Thank you very much, guys. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. An Irish independent digital subscription doesn't just get you the news. It gets you the best of Ireland's stories all in one place. Whether it's the best of politics, business, sport, entertainment or lifestyle. Get it all for just €4 Euro a month for 12 months when you first subscribe. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply. Cancel anytime.